That's awesome. So as we turn to our scripture today, we are stepping back into the story of David. So just to, to bring us up to speed, beginning of June, we started with the story of David, little David, being chosen as king. Uh, after that, not, not long after that, David defeats Goliath. We've talked about David's love for Jonathan and Jonathan's love for David. We've also talked about how King Saul is incredi- incredibly jealous and envious of, of David and trying to hunt him down and kill him. Well, we know that um, that hasn't gone so well for King Saul, and King Saul has died in battle. And now David is king. So as part of starting his new reign, he directs that the Ark of Covenant be brought into Jerusalem. So this is the story of David welcoming God, welcoming the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And the lectionary, our our assigned reading, gives us a snippet of that story that Mary's going to read. And we're also going to talk about some other Bible stories, um, really good stories, Uh, that are around that, that we don't usually get in our scripture readings. We're going to talk about some of the parts of the Bible that you don't usually hear about in church. So Mary's going to come and read the lectionary scripture for this morning. Okay, this morning's scripture comes from 2 Samuel, beginning with verses 1 to 5. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the God of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahiah, the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the Ark. David and all of the house of Israel were dancing before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Then the lectionary reading jumps ahead to halfway through verse 12. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of God had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before God with all his might David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of God with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of God came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before God, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of God and set it in its place and inside the tent that David had pitched for it and David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the God of hosts 
and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you for your word and for all the ways you welcome us. Give us open hearts that we might welcome you and to be changed so that we might serve and love the world you love. Amen. This morning's scripture is the story of David welcoming God, welcoming the Ark of the Covenant into its new home in Jerusalem, and it's quite an event. God has chosen David to be king, and after years of battle, David has conquered his foes. He has defeated the Philistines. King Saul has been hunting him down, but now Saul has died in battle. David is king. He's establishing his reign as king and his new capital in Jerusalem, so he goes to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it home. This is no small thing. The Ark of the Covenant is the most sacred symbol of God's presence in the midst of the people. It's been a sign of God's presence when the people wandered through the wilderness. It's been a sign of God's presence leading them to victory in battle, but during the reign of King Saul, it's been left neglected and David is bringing it home. And he brings it home. It, as he brings it home, it's meant to signify again God's presence among the people with their new king, his new reign. It's quite a celebration. David gathers no less than 30,000 men to accompany the ark, and if there are 30,000 men, there must be even more people, women and children, all the rest of us who don't sometimes get counted in the scriptures, all the people, they bring out the ark and they place it on a brand new cart. And as they start their procession, David and all the people begin to dance, dance with all their might before God with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. They head to the city. Now, they take a break in the verses that the lectionary reading left out this morning, but when they resume, they can't wait to begin their celebration and welcome, so they take six steps, just six steps, and David stops them to worship, to offer sacrifices six steps into their journey, and the dancing begins again. This time, David leads them out, dancing and leaping, wearing nothing but an ephod. So think of a tank top that comes down to about here. David is dancing and leaping before God with all his might, accompanied by shouts and trumpets. There's so much to see, so much to hear in this scene. They dance and sing into Jerusalem, and they make their way to the tent that David has pitched for the ark, that David has pitched for God, and then the offerings begin. The air fills with the scent of burnt offerings like a barbecue, and they feast. Everyone gets something to eat, bread and meat and raisin cakes, enough for everyone. What a celebration, what a welcome. We've been talking this summer about welcome, about how God welcomes us 
and how we welcome each other in love and in the practice of hospitality. This scripture gives us a glimpse of how we might return the welcome to God, how we might acknowledge and welcome God's presence in praise and worship, and it reminds us that every bit of our welcome to God is always responsive. Our welcome to God is always responding to God's welcome to us. We're always giving back what God has already given us first. God loves us first. God welcomes everyone. God creates us, hardwires us to love, and then blesses us with a mutual welcome of hospitality. All of us always welcome, empowered to welcome each other. And to that good news, we respond in praise with music and singing, trumpet and harp and castanet and violin and piano, maybe with dancing, we might say it like this, God welcomes us with the gift of abundant grace, and we give our welcome back to God, worshiping God with gratitude and praise. There's so much going on here, so much to see and hear and smell and taste, the dancing, the music, the burnt offerings, the raisin cakes, that it almost overwhelms our senses. It's extravagant and lush. It's hard to notice anything else except this woman in the window. Did you notice her when Mary read the scripture? Michal? Michal, this woman in the window frame, watching, taking it all in. The scripture says that Michal watches from the window frame and she sees David leaping and dancing before God and she despises him in her heart. Who is she? And why has she given David the stink eye? Michal is David's wife. One of his wives, his first wife, not actually his first choice, though. You see, way back in 1 Samuel 18, when David is first coming into his own, King Saul offers David one of his daughters in marriage. Scripture says that Saul does that as a snare to David to put one of his daughters close to the enemy in the enemy camp. And at first, Saul offers his eldest daughter, but then it makes more sense to marry her off to someone else, so he offers David Michal. Now remember, in the Hebrew Scriptures, when we were talking about marriage, there's almost always an element of a property transaction. In this patriarchal world, in their patriarchal world, the wife is treated as property. And in this case, there's something called a bride price. The groom pays the father a bride price. Saul tells David he doesn't want much for me, Call Just go and kill some Philistines for me and bring me 100 of their foreskins as proof. And David says, I'll bring you 200. And David does. He pays that bride price for Michal. And we know King Saul turns on David, tries to kill him, but Michal, Michal saves David's life. She lowers him down out of her window to safety when they come to kill him. Scripture says that in those first days, Michal loved David. There's no indication of what David feels for her, except that, well, well he doesn't come back for her. David goes off into battle 
against the Philistines, against King Saul, and seven chapters later, David takes another wife, Abigail, and then another, Ahinoam. And meanwhile, King Saul decides to give Michal to some other man. She's given, she's transacted to Paltiel, and now she's his wife. But nine chapters later, David remembers her. He's finally defeated her father Saul, and when Saul's generals come to make peace, David says, sure, but you're going to have to prove yourselves. Remember that daughter that King Saul gave me as his wife, the one I betrothed for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins? Well, I hear she's someone else's wife now. Go get her and return her to me. Bring me what is mine. And so they do. They take Michal from her husband, Paltiel, put her on a cart to take her to David, and this is This is kind of heartbreaking. Scripture says that as they take her away on the cart, Paul Tiel follows behind, weeping for Michal. He walks weeping as far as he can until David's generals send him home. We don't see Michal again until this morning's Scripture as she watches David dance before God, the God of Israel, the God of justice, David dancing as if. And Scripture says she despises him. And the lectionary cuts the Scripture reading off in verse 19 with everyone eating cakes. But there's more. David finishes his dancing And Michal comes down out of the window, and she meets him in the courtyard, and she says, look at you, king, dancing before God with a harem of women half-dressed, showing them what only your wife or your wives should see. And David replies, remember, I'm God's choice. I'm king now, and I'll do this and even more. And the story of Michal ends saying, and Michal had no children until she died. To paraphrase a construct from Hamilton, David writes himself into the narrative, and the biblical writer writes Michal out. One biblical scholar says that Scripture doesn't explicitly tell us why McCall is so angry. I've got some ideas. McCall has been the object of three marriage transactions. She has been married off for a price and then abandoned, transacted to another husband, sold and sold again, and then taken again by force and brought back as a spoil of war. McCall's been used as a pawn in the power struggle between her father and David, by her father as a snare to trap David, by David as a way of solidifying David's claim to the throne. And meanwhile, David has taken a couple of other wives and now dances into Jerusalem as McCall watches from the window frame while everyone else enjoys the feast. Sadly, it's not surprising 
that Nicole has had to endure all this, a woman living life in intensely patriarchal structures, what is surprising is that we hear her voice at all. The lectionary may edit the story down, but her story survives. She's there in the window, glaring out of the experience of her life. McCall loves and saves life. She is sold and bartered again and again. She survives, and she rages, and she comes down from the window of her captivity, walks up and speaks up against the king. She calls David to account. McCall's presence, her story, her voice indict the systems of oppression that have helped bring David to this moment, and her story survives all the way to us today. This scripture and Michal remind us that the welcome that we give to God can never be disconnected from the justice work that is ours to do in the world. Our worship can never be disconnected from our work. Our welcome and our worship and our work can't ignore the power over that is at work in the world and the people who are harmed and left at the margins of power. It can't ignore our complicity. If our welcome is to be truly responsive to God's welcome, the welcome that we give back has to include those voices, has to hold and confess the harm, has to embrace the work of justice. In all this hubbub, the singing, the dancing, the trumpet, the castanets, there's one more thing to notice. Did you notice that the scripture reading skipped over about seven verses? Now, the lectionary that we use it's a suggestion, suggested set of readings for each Sunday that we share across churches and denominations with the goal of experiencing over a three-year cycle a significant amount of Scripture. Years ago, some folks got together, looked at the whole of Scripture, and said these would be good texts to put at the center of worship. The nature of their task meant that they'd select some things and they'd leave other things out. But sometimes we get a scripture reading where they've actually cut out some of the verses. Always look at those verses. This morning, the lectionary stops the text just before Michal gets to speak. That is not a mistake. Michal does complicate things. And they cut out verses 6 through 12 and a half. It's a precision strike. They cut out the story of Uzzah. And it's a strange little story. So rewind. Back to the start of the story, Uzzah is one of the guys who starts off carrying the ark. At some point, the ark wobbles and it's about to fall off, and Uzzah reaches out to steady. It touches the ark, and he is struck dead. David is angry at God for that and terrified, so they just leave the ark. <laughs> they park it in the house of a foreigner, let him face the danger, but then the foreigner flourishes as keeper of the ark, so David, seeing that, comes back and says, okay, I'll take that off your hands. And that's where the dancing resumes 
in this morning's scripture reading in verse 12 and a half. Now, in fairness to the lectionary people, I could probably never explain the story of Uzzah to you. I guess there's something about the ark's holiness that just can't be touched. Think Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yvette Shock points out what the lectionary effectively does is hide the bodies in the text. This is a great story about King David and the celebration that begins his reign. Let's not complicate it by talking about those that we lost along the way. That Shock writes, the omission of Uzzah's death might make the story more comfortable for worship use, but it effectively creates an official version of the story. There haven't been any dead here, the official version declares. Nothing to see here. Move along. And if we think of how the story stops before Michal speaks, there's, there's nothing to hear here. Just keep moving. Justice movements. Justice movements almost always honor those who have been lost along the way. Those who have shouted and prophesied in the midst of protest. Those who have spoken with their lives those who have lost their lives to the violence that the justice movement seeks to end and to repair, there is a reason that we say their names. Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and so many more. This scripture reminds us that the welcome that we give back to God can't ever leave anyone behind. The welcome that we see in this morning's scripture as the people welcome the ark, it comes to us in the context of real life. Michal and Uzzah and the more than 30,000 folks living life, God extends God's welcome to all people we experience that welcome in our lives in a world that is hard. And to ignore that, to ignore that, cheapens the welcome and praise and gratitude that we return to the God who insists on better. Our welcome must acknowledge all of that. Our welcome must stand in the midst of all that and stretch out its arms as broadly as God's, or else it is really no welcome at all. I've been thinking of the choir's music during our music service just, just a few weeks ago and its depth. As they were creating it, Danielle shared with me how it evolved. They wanted to celebrate. After a season of not being able to sing, they wanted to celebrate being able to sing, expecting that the songs would all be upbeat, or most of them, and as they began to work and create what emerged in hope, also held so much of the hard experience of this past year. It was hope not disconnected from, but grounded in real life 
and struggle. And so they could sing and reflect on hope in O Happy Day, alongside a haunting Sanctus and Agnus Dei, and a Gershwin piece in which the saxophone pretty much sang the blues. I was thinking this past week, as we gathered for Lois Bolt's memorial service and began by singing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, it's one thing to sing joyful, joyful on a sunshiny Sunday morning. Mortals, join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. And it is another thing to sing joyful, joyful as we gather in the experience of death. As we gather to grieve the loss of loved ones and to claim the promise of resurrection, love divine is reigning o'er us, joining all in heaven's plan. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. I've thought of those protest videos we watched on Palm Sunday of folks in a pride parade singing, I will survive of neighbors standing outside a school board meeting where it's about to get real, singing, this little light of mine. I've thought about the song that Michal might have sung from that window frame and of the song Huzzah might have sung if his life had not been cut short. In the exuberant welcome the exuberant welcome that David and the people give back to God, Michal and Huzzah remind us that God's welcome has substance and grit. God's welcome embraces everyone, everywhere, no matter who they are, in the midst of their lives, in the midst of our lives, in all that we are experiencing, and insists that everyone, everyone be valued, remembered, and set free. The work of welcome. The work of welcome is to return to God a welcome as loving and liberating as the welcome that we have received. A welcome that names and dismantles every system that holds anyone anywhere down. A welcome that leaves no one behind. A welcome that sets the whole world free.